What's going on, everyone? This is George Clife. It's episode 32 of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm here with Manny Pata, a good friend. He's a self-made entrepreneur who built his first multi-million dollar company when he was only 26 years old. He's now the founder of New Avenue Capital, an investment firm that brings together financial, human, and impact capital for high-growth companies. Manny's super passionate about uh, philanthropy and sits on several nonprofit boards, such as League of Innovators, which I'm a part of as well. Shout out to LOI. In 2016, Manny was named Canadian Angel Investor of the Year by NACO. I'm super excited, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks, George, for having me on. I appreciate it. Obviously, there's, there's a lot to talk about, both on the investment, also on the entrepreneurial side. Uh, quick question, just to get started. I'm, I'm kind of curious. How did you go from um, you know, the, the corporate side, which I know you talked about in one of your uh, LinkedIn articles, but you, you, know, you went from the corporate working for a big company to all of a sudden making that shift. What was that for you and, and what was your tipping point? Yeah, you know, I think it was a couple things. I, I think I always knew I wanted to work for myself. Mm. Uh, you know, the goal of scaling up and growing versus climbing that corporate ladder. So I had understanding of that probably at a pretty young age of, of, of knowing what I wanted to do from a working for myself standpoint, not knowing what I wanted to do, which yeah. is which was the harder point. Uh, and then I think the, the real aha moment was when I was, you know, I was 26, I think, at the time or 25 at the time. And I'd been there for four years years or so did my MBA and I could tell that even though I was probably progressing at a high level uh, due to corporate structures there's no way I could have been a partner at that firm for another four or five years and and how it operated and so you know that kind of pushed me out to do my own thing faster I'd say than what I was previously probably expecting to do just because I knew the opportunity wasn't there. Mm. Well so many people listening to this and I'm sure a lot of people have had this kind of dilemma right um, they're sort of stuck in the middle. They want to make that leap. They want to make that jump, uh, but they don't know. And, you know, and, and there's never a clear blueprint. I mean, you talk to entrepreneurs and they say, obviously, you know, you have to take a risk. Um, and you have a great quote, which I like as well, which is, you know, living a few years like most won't, so you can live the rest uh, like most can't. Uh, but what yeah. advice would you give for someone who wants to make that leap? Like, what's a good kind of rule set for, for someone? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. The first thing is to really get a sense of, what is your tolerance for ambiguity and risk? And if you, uh, if you have a higher tolerance for that, then what you can really do is uh, set yourself up based on that. Uh, so if you have a high tolerance for risk, you know you can maybe jump out faster and, and just take it and see what happens. I was probably medium tolerance for ambiguity and risk at that time. And so what I actually did was when I left uh, Corn Ferry to, to start my own business, I actually took a side job as well. I, I taught at SFU as a wow. special instructor. Wow. And so that helped supplement my income over the first year while my business grew. And, and I know a lot of individuals who've done that. It's so easy nowadays to take your expertise and contract that out part-time. Uh, and if you can do that, whatever industry you're coming from, that gives you the opportunity to spend more time focused on your business and on the real parts. Because the worst time to make decisions on when you're doing your business is when you don't have funding. And so you want to make sure you always have funding to be able to make the right decisions for your business if you can. And so that's always, uh, that's always important. So I think that's the key is understanding what your tolerance for risk is. Like, are you okay with 50 bucks in the bank account or do you have some other obligations, right? Not everyone's able to do that. Do you have other obligations which require you to be making some sort of income while you're building your business? Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. uh, is, you know, a very good way to put it. When yeah. you were 26 and, and you were looking to start, you know, your first venture, um, you, you went obviously on the recruiting side with, with PM Search Partners. How did you know that that's, that's kind of the vertical you wanted to tackle? And, and what was it for you that, that made you uh, self-aware of that? 
So we should clarify, George. Twenty six yeah. was my first successful business, probably. Okay. Uh, I, had, uh, I had <laughs> I had about like seven failed businesses before then. Mm. Uh, I drove around all the way from a lemonade stand on a highway, which was probably not the best location uh, uh, when I was younger. All the way to I was trying to do commodities trading. To I used to have a media company called New Avenue Media. That's actually where New Avenue Capital came from, and that was where I was doing the washroom frames, uh, just like New Ad was, but in. Uh, in uh, second tier locations and then I wrapped those up and, and sold it not for a huge profit but for enough to get me started and so where I kind of decided to do the search firm was I had done all these other type of businesses and I realized the heavy capital intensiveness that required to start some of the products that I was working on and and I realized that I looked at the fees of what recruiters were making and the fees we could charge and I said well if I do this that'll open the doors to me to do so many other things and I I built the model off of that to go from search to then investing because, well, when you're looking at early stage companies, you really don't have a technology, a product, something tangible you can feel all the time. The only thing you can, you can assess is the people. And so what better place to start from for me from a, than from a recruitment perspective? And I wasn't recruiting for, you know, lower level staff. It was all high level, senior, you know, VP, board, C-suite. So you got to spend a lot of time working looking through personalities and looking at how people operated. And so that gave me a leg up than when I got into the investing side. So even though I started in recruitment and that was my goal to build my business off of it, I, I never yeah. thought of myself as a recruiter, thought of myself as a people connector. And, sure. uh, and, and that allowed me then to, to be able to move into entrepreneurship because that's a business that was easy to disrupt and easy to start on its own. I needed a laptop and a phone and a suit. <laughs> right. That's very true. And and, so, and, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, even even your hashtag today, I always see it as you know bullish on people or long on people, and I and I and I love that. I love that kind of quote and that mindset. Yeah, it's it's all about relationships, right? Like, and that's not saying that every single relationship I've had in business has been positive. You know, there's areas where it just doesn't work, but mm-hmm. I've I've definitely realized that you, I have a much better success mm-hmm. chance of success if I'm working with people who are aligned with how I think, how I operate, kind of from the values and uh, and relationship perspective, right? You're transactional. That's great. You know, there's a, there's a place for you in the world, and there's businesses that require that. It just doesn't work very well with my business mindset and model. Right. And, and talking about building a network, you know, being bullish on people. What's your style of networking? How have you leveraged technology like LinkedIn? I know you're you're active on social now, and and you're really adopting it well. Uh, but for someone listening, like how how is how is your approach and methodology to not only building your network but also maintaining it as it grows? So, so I wrote an article that's published on Quartz about two, three weeks ago that talks about how I, I don't network and I, and I don't believe in networking, but I believe mm. in building relationships. And I think it just depends on where you're going. If you're going to an event that's called speed dating or called those things, that might be great, especially when you're starting off your career. I understand people need to do that. I was fortunate in that my job was full-time networking, <laughs> but building relationships with senior level executives and people around the world. And so that was built into my job, which I know some people don't have right now, right? Obviously in their careers. Right. Um, so yeah. if you're going to start with that, just try to find like-minded people, right, to be working with and connecting with. You don't need to have a Rolodex of 10,000 people. I find it really hilarious when I see people who tell me that their Facebook is now full of uh, contacts that they can have as friends or their LinkedIn is maxed out. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way you actually have valuable relationships there. And I had started back in my career, I used to add everyone on LinkedIn. <laughs> and very rarely do I add people now. I will add people back if I think there's a reason to. Right. But um, yeah. but I don't I don't try to fill up my contact and network base. I've got a core group of 
eight to 10 people I work with on different types of projects and deals. I've got a core group of friends and, and I've realized just by segmenting and funneling that down, you end up being more efficient and more effective with what you're doing. Yeah, that, that's a very good way of putting it. You know, even uh, like statistically speaking, and even there, there's a lot of research done on this, uh, Manny, and I'm sure you've come across this, but yeah. uh, basically like you can only handle, uh, you know, 150 close relationships at max um, where they're actually yeah. quality relationships from personal to professional, you know, and even like, for example, I met you like two, three years back at TMX and from now to, from then till now, just building that relationship through, through different initiatives that we were mutually a part of. So providing that exactly. contact to your point is really important. Otherwise it's just stale. Like there's no substance there. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Listen, there are people you yeah. just connect with in business and you can go out for lunch with once every couple of years yeah. or whatever it is. And, you, and when you see each other, you're happy. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? I'm, right. I'm just saying you're exactly right. You know, I think that number 150, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the number of relationships a, a banking person at a bank has, can have before they split them off to new clients because yeah. even banks realize yeah. that there's only a certain number of people that someone can hold before it gets too, uh, too much for them. And so, um, to me, it's just, you know, build that funnel and do it right. And that doesn't mean cutting other people off, but, you know, but it means understanding your priorities, right? And for myself, I've got two little boys, I've got my wife who, who's running her own successful business now. And so that makes time even more precious, right? In terms of who you're trying to work with and what you're trying to accomplish in a day. And and you talked about, you know, running into so many uh, C-suite execs, primarily that's what you were focused on, you know, even when you were uh, on the recruiting side, but uh, as an entrepreneur, but now you deal with so many uh, C-suites as well, so many leaders in the space, uh, whatever vertical that you're covering. What's that, uh -huh. you know, what's that common kind of trait or pattern that you're seeing from memorable leaders that you come across and ones that you really kind of resonate with? You know, the ones that, that I find that I, that I just am very impressed with other ones that can are very relatable mm -hmm. right like um one of them once i remember sitting in a room one day and i won't say the name of the individual but he you know he's definitely been very successful and he was sitting in a meeting and and i was super young at this time but you know people were just throwing out acronyms and all these things that i didn't understand and i could tell neither did he and all he said was excuse me can you explain it to me like i'm in grade five and i just found that very interesting because he was so interested and, and so open. Like most people would just pretend like they know, but he was just so easily and, and wasn't afraid about being vulnerable there and very relatable. Like in terms of being able to talk, I, I would say all the way from the janitor all the way down to the C-suite and board. Um, having that ability to be able to move and mingle with people and, and understanding that I think is key. And those are the people that I find to be most interesting, right? Because to me, it's not a, it's not a question of, how you operate and how you act when you're just building off when you're starting, but it's a question of how do you operate and act when you've actually made it in some aspect, whatever made it means to you. And that relatability, that relationship orientation, the real, the people that I consider successful, and for me, success is not just business. Mm -hmm. Success is your family, your friends, and your business. It's your personal, your health, your family, uh, and, and, and business as well. Those are the people that I see. They're very relatable. Uh, they're very relationship-oriented, and, and they truly care about other people's success as well as their own. Right. Yeah, I, I like the way you can kind of contextualize the last part too, Manny, by saying success isn't just about your business. You know, and I think uh, burnout is very prevalent in entrepreneurship. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, I love the hustle on the grind just as much as the next person. But, you know, to your point, there's so much more to life than just kind of a one, one angled approach. And, um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, but for some, it's not. And for some, they, they, they're not as worried about your friends or family. You know, I, I always tell everyone, I said, figure out what's important to you, to you. and then focus on that, right? Like, and it's, and it's going to be different for every single person. 
Um, for some people, it's more family than wealth. For some people, it's more wealth, etc. Like, you know, and, and all I say is just understand what your motivations are and what you want to be doing, and then align everything you do according to that. It, you know, it's, it's a very simple thing to say, but it's very tough to implement. Very true. How, yeah, how do you go about uh, doing it yourself? Because you know, I do follow you on social, as I as I previously previously mentioned, and I know you're active and stuff. And I and I see that you know you prioritize your wife, you pri- you prioritize your family at large, your you, you know kids, and and and, and just having to deal with a huge portfolio now on the investment side, like how do you deal with it all and, and keep a, a good balance? Yeah, you know, I, I read a book a couple of years ago now by Randy Zuckerberg called Pick Three. Okay. Um, you know, you can do every, you can, you can have it all, you just can't have it all every day. And what she said was there, there's five things in life that you, you can focus on. It's your family, your business, uh, exercise, friends, and sleep. Every day pick three and do three really well. And so for me, that's technically what I try to do is I don't like, you know, today I left the house early and, and I've got a dinner event. I'm not going to see my kids probably for most of the day. I got to hang out with them a little bit in the morning, but I'm not. But all weekend long, it was all about my family and it was all about my friends and it was all about exercise. Um, today, today is going to be, today's been workout and work and sleep. And so every day I pick three and then I kind of, I kind of over the week see how my weeks are going and if things are tilting one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Then I uh, then I then I move it to make sure I adjust. Right? I travel. I travel ten percent of the year, so that means I'm away from my kids and family thirty six and a half days uh, a year. Uh, and so you just have to understand what what that balance is. The other thing I've done really well is I built a good team around me. Right? All my businesses, the portfolio. You know, I I, I say I've moved more from investor into back to entrepreneur now because I'm working on a couple businesses, mm-hmm. and that portfolio mm-hmm. is, is is doing very well on its own with an associate and a couple of other individuals kind of managing it and seeing how it's going. And then I'm available when needed. And so having the right people around you and, and understanding what your balance is, how you want to structure it, whether it's pick three or pick four or try to do everything every day. But I found that doing those two things, having a good team around me and, and working on that pick three strategy has allowed me never to feel guilty. Right. I, I, I you know, if I, if I miss my kids one day and I don't see them for a long time, but I, I know the next two, three days I'm there. I don't feel guilty, and I put all my effort into that work. I put all my effort into that workout. I put all my effort into that time with my friends. I'm present. And versus try to exercise while analyzing a spreadsheet, while WhatsApping and FaceTiming my children. <laughs> right? I mean, like, there's no quality there. Right? Yeah. And so you want, it, you want to make sure everything you do is quality and in the present time. And so that's, that's kind of how I've structured it to make it work now. I like that, man. I'm going to definitely pick that book. It's, it's interesting when you say like pick three because it's true. Like you only have so much time in the day. And uh, to your point, if you want to give 100, 100% as much as you can, obviously, to every task you're doing, then, uh, yeah. you know, then you've got to prioritize those, uh, those things that matter to you, I guess. And listen, I'm a big believer. Like I, I love multitasking. I have to do a couple <laughs> things at a time. It's just how I operate. Yes. Uh, I leave that to the way my brain works or whatever it is. But I've never worked well sitting there doing one thing, like whether – if I'm doing writing some emails or pounding out or having to analyze up the spreadsheet, I need to be throwing a ball against a wall or something. Like it's just how my brain works. But to be still focused on the task but have a secondary piece, so I call it primary and secondary. Your primary thing is your work, your family, your business, and if you're doing something secondary behind it, that's okay. But it's when you're trying to do two primary things at the same time, both fail. And what would you say that you know, because you have both sides of now obviously being a seasoned entrepreneur. Uh, but you're also on the investment side, and I know you do both extremely well now, but which one would you say you prefer more, and, and which one do you think that you have a, a maybe a stronger advantage in? You know, I I base it, you know, when I, how I built my career, the first three, four years was 
pure entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And then, then the last, the first, the next three to four years was more investor as I burnt out and I needed just to take a break from day to day. And now I've moved into entrepreneur. I'd say they blend very well together. And so I, I wouldn't say I'm better than one than the other. I would just say it, it depends on what I'm doing at that time. Like I know, for example, what I'm good at, what I'm not. I know as an investor, as an investor, I cannot evaluate every single business on my own. But I know I can evaluate the people side and then bring in industry experts. Mm-hmm. Right? And as an entrepreneur, it's the same thing. You know, a lot of people try to build a business on their own, and it's very tough to do so. And I've realized my most successful one now, PM Search was great, but I'm working on a, a roll-up right now in the dental industry. I'm working on a, a project right now in, in the public space and uh, how, launching a capital pool company with four of some of the top tech entrepreneurs in Canada. And I've realized by putting the right people around me, it's the same thing, whether it's investing or entrepreneurship. The only thing is with entrepreneurship, I'm spending a little bit more day-to-day on the vision and the strategy. Versus, you know, I joke around sometimes about being a backseat CEO with some some of the some of the companies I'm an investor and in, are helping out on the back end and jumping in for a little while. So to me, uh, entrepreneurship for me is just spending more time on the business than investor, but I focus on them the same way, and I think doing that allows you to be successful at both. Amazing, and and for someone listening, you know, they might be an, an early stage entrepreneur, they're aspiring, uh, you know, and yeah. and they, they you know they're looking to raise maybe that angel round. What would you recommend as, as kind of just basic tips for them to get started on it, especially from seeing the successful ones that you've helped along the way? For sure. First of all, research the people you want to meet, right? Okay. If there's companies you know that are similar to yours, who are the investors that were in that business or who are the people that are in that space? Who's in the industry? Who invests? Like, I have a lot of companies that have to come to me and show me, you know, hardware capital intensive businesses. I think every single podcast I always tell everyone or every interview I've had, I tell them I don't invest in that space. And so I feel bad sometimes not, you know, meeting the individuals, but it just doesn't make sense. And that time can be better spent, not just for me, but for them, right? And so I would say find people who are in that industry or who like that space, who have invested in that space, and then start with advice, right? Um, a lot of people come with a deck and they, all they have is a deck and they want to build out and then they want capital. But if you come with asking for advice, it, you get much more impactful uh, opinions, uh, ideas, and places to go versus just a yes or a no on a check. And that will be very helpful for you as you're building forward. And then every single person you meet, I always tell people, there's a rule I have. If, if you want to meet with me or connect with me, mm-hmm. I tell everyone, usually you have to know someone who knows me. Unless you've met me personally at an event, I don't accept cold uh, in-mails or cold email pitches for someone to show me their business. And the reason for that is just purely time. Last year, we got over 2,000 pitches sent to our inbox for New Avenue. We just don't have the time to go through all those. And so this is a way for me to kind of grade them and, and sort them out. And so having that ability to, to be able to, to sort through is huge. And so if you get referred into the person that you're talking to, you have much more likely chance of getting a warm conversation and a, and a good conversation versus just cold emailing people. Um, a little bit counterintuitive to what people say sometimes, just reaching out and, and spamming. But mm-hmm. I truly believe it. if you could find someone that knows that individual and say, hey, I want to talk to this person because of this, just want their advice, and that person then makes the introduction, much more likely that that person is going to respond and want to talk to you. Mm, interesting. And, and within, within that experience, just to flip the sword, and I know you said, you know, uh, kind of one of the things that you shouldn't do, but what would you say was the biggest mistake that you've seen an entrepreneur make you know, while trying to, to get you to invest in them? 
the the worst thing I've seen is when I tell them why I'm not interested, etc., or I or I dispute maybe some of the facts that are in their model or in their product. Mm-hmm. They get aggressive and angry. <laughs> <laughs> happens more, happens much more than you think, and that just oh, shuts man. down the conversation right away. Uh, yeah, where they're like, well, you don't know this business, or I know it better than you, and I, and I always say, yes, absolutely, you absolutely do. But here's the things that I see, and for me, I, you know, I think I said it in one of my last articles. You know, if if you're looking for money, it's okay to say you don't know the answer to something. Like I, I, I explain this to entrepreneurs all the time. You are not expected as an entrepreneur to know everything, right? You're in a new business. You're working on something. So it's okay to ask questions. I ask questions all the time. And guess what? You're going to mess up and make decisions sometimes that, are, that aren't the most economical or aren't the best for you. But it's being able to be open and honest and vulnerable that's going to make you a strong entrepreneur. So if you're completely closed off and you don't want someone's advice, et cetera, you're probably looking at the wrong angel investors because angel investors are there typically to, to be smart money and to help you. Yeah, that, that's very true. And I mean, it's strategic for a reason, right? Like you're putting money, but you also want to be there to offer your network, your support, your experience. Uh, and so you also want to find someone who's teachable, right? I mean, uh, to the extent that you can provide that that asset. So that's a very Absolutely. good point. And, and you yeah. know, one last thing on, on, on your side as well, uh, Manny. I mean, you've had 23 exits under your belt, some as an entrepreneur, some as an investor. Uh, and I work in M&A, so, so definitely interested just to hear your take on, on exits in general. When, you know, because I, I often hear, and I, and I talked to Michael Hyde about this, and he said, you know, which I agree with, the best businesses who do well uh, just focus on growing and being successful, and an exit will come uh, kind of, uh, you know, as, as they're progressing. But obviously, there are certain things to think about, and you've highlighted this on an article recently. So can you just touch base on that uh, and what you think is important? Yeah. You should never focus on your business for selling only. That that's the wrong business model approach, in my opinion. Just because then, if it doesn't sell, you you set the model and completely correct. But you should always know what your options are. Okay. Yeah, you should always know what your options are. So at the very beginning of your business, you should. So here are the companies that would look to potentially acquire me. Uh, here what here I could take venture capital money. Here's private equity money. Here's the options for going public. You should always know what your options are at any time and understand that because. The problem a lot of the times is entrepreneurs will build and grow the business, and that's great. But if you're growing the wrong metrics or the wrong numbers, that, that's also an issue. And so you always want to make sure that you're growing for the right reasons and not just for the sake of growing. And understand what you could do at each level. So when I work with all of my companies, you know, I'm in the angel round or seed round or friends and family. At the next round, I always ask them, hey, guys, what are the options? Hey, girls, what are the options that you have here? in terms mm-hmm. of what you can build out. Like, does it make sense to take VC money here? Should we do another angel round? Should we do a bridge round? Do we want to stay private? Should we go public? And, you know, a lot of people are like, public, what? And, you know, and I say it's just the option to look at that, not saying you have to, but what are the pros and cons of each piece that you're going to do at every level? Not what you, and to me, that's, that's proper due diligence on every round that you're doing, right? right. Um, because not every business is set up to be VC capital intensive in three to five to six years exit. Some may be more M&A consolidation roll-up plays. And if you're going to do an M&A consolidation play, then looking public makes sense because you can use your share capital. And so when you're looking at your exits, there's so many options always. And so I always say you need to prepare for that, but you can't only look at that. If you're going to be going through an exit scenario with one company, you know, you don't want to slow down your business and cut your costs and lean out so your margin's really high, but you're doing that to sacrifice growth because you think that company's going to acquire you. Because if that company doesn't acquire you, then you left yourself in a worse position. So I always say be, be ready to exit, but don't focus your entire business on it. I don't know. Yeah, and, and so many times, like, uh, and I'm sure you you must have felt this as well. Like, you get inbound interest from, say, a strategic or maybe a financial partner, and, uh, and and they show a lot of interest in you in your business. And entrepreneurs always have this dilemma: like, should I 
carry out this transaction by myself and just go with this one person or should I launch a process and see who else bids for, for my for my company and what price I can get? That, that's often yeah. a concern, right? Yeah, and, and I think you should explore, but this is where your advisors should come in handy too, right? Like, you know, a lot of those exits I've had, almost every single one, I'd say 90% of them, I have had the entrepreneur reach out to me and say, hey, Manny, these people are thinking of buying us. What do you think? Um, and if you have a few very smart strategic investors on your team, they can very quickly snuff out and say, this makes sense, this doesn't. Hey, you might want to take a look at this here. Just to take a look at what's comparable in the market, let me connect you with this individual. And, right. you know, if, if you've been very smart, and I go back to that, right, smart investors to have on your board or on your advisors or just in the background, having those individuals around you is priceless. Yeah, that's very true. Manny, last question for you here. Um, you know, a lot of my listeners are either students, you know, just out of uh, university, could be fresh grads. What advice would you give to someone right now listening to this, wanting to make a step in their career and, and really wanting to make um, kind of a legacy out of their future? The first thing is if, if you're a student right now is, is take some swings, right? As a, as a student, you're able to spend a little bit more time focused on your business activities or your student activities. So if you want to try, do some entrepreneurial competitions, try launching a business for startup. There's so much funding around for those type of things. Is to try to take that swing to see what you can do. And that's going to be very critical. You know, as, a, as somebody who's looking to maybe start their own business or as a, as a student, leave the legacy you want, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to be president of EO Vancouver here, and I, we built a legacy, and legacy is our conversation and what our theme is. And I say, figure out what you want your legacy to be, whether it's your business, whether it's your family, whether it's yourself. Where do you want to focus on and then drive your attention towards that? Uh, and that doesn't need to be right away. Right? If you want to be an entrepreneur, but let's say you don't have the capital right now yourself, go find a job where you can work and earn some capital and build off and start your entrepreneurial career, or you can do a side hustle. You know, If you're fortunate enough that you've got capital behind you, then you've got a chance to take a swing a little bit earlier on. But always, always pinpoint and take that back to what you want your legacy to be. And, and that legacy can change over time. When I was in my early 20s, the goal was to make as much money as possible. Right Now it's, now it's changed. It's not only about capital. And so understand that that changes over time. What was that, sorry, George? Well, I was just going to say, like, what would you say your legacy is now? I mean, just kind of that focus point for you. You know, my legacy, I hope, is that I, I, am, an, I am an investor that is friendly to entrepreneurs, but tough when it comes to issues around ethics and corporate governance and, and working on behalf of the good of the company. Uh, that's raised a couple really good kids and is a, is a supportive person who's been relatable, relationship-oriented, and approachable throughout his career. Amazing. Well, I really appreciate those insights, Manny, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will, will get value of it. For, so uh, just want to say thank you. Thanks for coming on and, uh, you know, wish you the best in every endeavor that you pursue. Anytime, George, and I'm happy to come on for you, man. I'm, I always love supporting young guys and girls who are, who are hustling and building things and really proud and impressed with the things that you've started with so far. And thanks for supporting LOI. Yeah, cheers, man. So big talk to LOI. Appreciate you, buddy. Have a good one. Thank you, guys. Cheers.